I'm so excited to have a wonderful person here today, Deanna Quietwater Noriega. Hi, Deanna. Good morning. How oh, are I'm you? So <laughs> well, we had a crazy time of me getting here, <laughs> but uh, here we are. You were so patient. So um, I'm so excited because I knew you were a writer. Tell us, you have two books. Do you have more than two or just these two? Because these are wonderful. Well, I did edit a version of the um, Handbook for Perspective Guide Dog Users for GDI a few Ooh. years ago. Uh -huh. And I have pieces in three of the anthologies that my writer's group um, puts out. And I've got pieces in various small anthologies all over the place. And you probably have seen some of my writing mm -hmm. in um, the Braille Forum. I've also yes. been published. My One of my earliest publications was a children's story I wrote in um, a National Braille Press magazine our special it, oh wow yeah they had a writer's contest years ago when my children were were young and i had recently written a story um aimed at one of my daughters as a uh a talking thing just to bring up a subject about mm -hmm. embarrassment of having a mommy who's not quite like all the other mommies and um the worry of the, the, this little witch about having her her mom show up for the Halloween carnival. Oh, okay. So that one is um, called different. And but, yeah, you know, so pieces of mine have appeared all over the place in obscure places. <laughs> well, before we do get into um, talking about your books. I notice how story is such a part of your style of conversation and your just your way of being in the world. Even now, weaving together your publications and where your articles and different things have been, there's usually a story. Story is very important to you, isn't it? Well, from early childhood, I lived among storytellers. <laughs> My yes. family cannot have an ordinary meal together without exchanging a bunch of um, sometimes exaggerated stories of what happened that day. You know, <laughs> dramatizations of disasters or funny things or things we observed. Um, a salt shaker turns into a microphone. Um, <laughs> um, the... The knife that someone is cutting up, uh, say, a cake I baked as, as a young girl, my um, my stepfather would bang the, it on the table and they would, um, you know, just insist that it was impossible to cut it and all of that sort of thing. Oh. So we dramatized a lot <laughs> in, in my growing up. That's interesting. I guess I think of you already just from reading and talking with you you're you're a teacher and so i would imagine you've used story a lot to help people gain new understanding what do you think well i'm a shy person 
which most of my friends don't believe, but it's true. Um, but among friends and people that I care about, it's easy for me to start a conversation by talking if they're going through something of sharing something that that is, you know, to show that I understand. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. where they're coming from and that they're not alone in when I was in high school my I found a poem that has influenced how I deal with others and it's uh, an Edna St. Vincent Millay poem called Prayer to Persephone mm -hmm. and I don't have it in front of me, but That's basic, okay. <laughs> basically what it says is that, my dear, my dear, it's not so dreadful here. Mm -hmm. um, the fact that if I could show someone that they weren't alone, whether it's with dealing with recent blindness or having a new baby or... um a disappointment on a job or whatever that it takes away some of the a little bit of the pain mm -hmm. to comfort too and help someone know that yeah they couldn't they didn't have to give up or give up hope give some hope yeah because if i survived it they can too mm -hmm. i have been really thinking about a theme of depth that I feel from your writing. But let's talk about your books before I get into some of what I <laughs> Go wanted. down the rabbit hole. Yeah, because <laughs> I really... rabbit holes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, which one do you want to talk about first? Because they're, they're well, just both so wonderful. My first book was because... In the midst of COVID, my mother turned 90, mm -hmm. and I was heartbroken that I wouldn't be there oh. to help her celebrate. Mm -hmm. Because at that age, you don't know how much longer you're going to have a mama. <laughs> yeah. And my mom was one of my first um, supporters, advocates. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She was an amazing mom. She was 17 when I was born. I was her first child, and when I was four months old, I was diagnosed as having congenital glaucoma. Ah, oh, okay. And it was because of her own alertness and observation that she took me to the military doctor for an exam that young, mm -hmm. saying that there was something wrong, that I cried every time she would move from um, shadow to light oh. and that there must be something hurting me mm -hmm. in the light mm -hmm. and so he did the exam and he told her one of the things that was an early marker for a baby with a congenital glaucoma was exceptionally large beautiful eyes because the pressure in the eyes was um, causing them to be somewhat enlarged. And he told her that I would probably be blind by the time I was 10. But he also gave her some good advice. He said, little mama, you have a hard road to walk because 
this little one needs you to be a good mama. And that means allowing her to be a child. Oh, excellent. That you, you or your impulse will be to protect her and keep her from all harm. But if you do that, she will never be able to grow up and be who she has the potential to be because you will teach her to be afraid and you will teach her that she can't do for herself. Wow. Then she'll grow up to adulthood without the tools she needs to carry on after you are gone. Mm. She told you this later on, huh? Yes, she did when we were talking about it when I was in my 20s. Oh, wow. So I wanted to make her birthday special. And I thought, well, Mama's always liked everything you write. So why not take that book you've been trying to prepare to shop around to university presses because it's basically done. Um, but the first university press I applied to, I was looking for ones that had vet um, departments, veterinary schools, and Ooh. also psychology departments because I thought my book, first book would be a good sell for them. Ooh. But the first query letter I sent out I got such a long list of what they wanted I was overwhelmed (laughs) (laughs) and so I was in the process of making myself put this together (laughs) and so I said well I know about a company that will help you prepare your book to be released on Amazon And it will be your book under your copyright. And um, then if, you know, if there's an opportunity to get it into a wider market, well, you know, you still have that that potential. And so I uh, contacted uh, DLD Books, which is a a writer (laughs) and his wife, who's also a writer, who went indie because they got so frustrated with the difficulty of getting a standard press. Um, and it takes sometimes a year or even two years mm-hmm. to get a book, even mm-hmm. once it's accepted, published. And um, so they were helping um, and particularly helping with very low cost fees visually impaired writers to mm-hmm. get their books on publication. So mm. this was in November. I sent my draft manuscript to them and said, can we get this published by February 1st so that I can have a copy of it in my mother's hands for her 90th birthday? Oh. And Leonor wrote back and said, yes, we can do this. We can get it done by January. I can fit it into what we're doing now. It's not long and uh, it doesn't need a lot. Mm -hmm. And so she did the editing and they're very thorough with their editing. And David does the the tech part of loading it up on uh, KDP, on on Amazon Mm -hmm. and on Smashwords to get multiple uh, 
varieties okay. of, of available for the visually Forms. impaired, oh, which okay. would be the easiest because they'll send it to you in a, a docs file, a EPUB, uh -huh. uh, um, yeah. whatever you, you need it to be. Mm -hmm. I think it's changed since then, but, but that's what they used to do. They've, mm -hmm. they're in the process of joining to a larger uh, print on demand mm -hmm. company. So um, mm -hmm. things may be changing, but that's what they were doing then. And so they got my book up by January 6th of 2021 oh. in time for my mother's 90th birthday. And oh. I was able to get a print copy of it mailed to my brother um, and into my mother's hands by his hand on her birthday. Mm -hmm. mm. I so, bet that meant so much to her. Wow. Yeah. So it was 50 <laughs> years of walking with friends. And the book cover they designed for me was the photograph of me with my current dog at that time, a beautiful German shepherd. Oh. And there's a story. I am good at rabbit holes. There's a story about the cover. <laughs> okay. That, um, we were having our photograph taken for our, for our ID card. Uh -huh. And they had this wonderful platform that went up and down to bring the oh, dog yes. up to the right waist high level. I remember that platform. Yes. Yes. And <laughs> so my lovely German shepherd was sitting on the platform. I had, as my photograph picture, had taken a Cherokee style dress with a little shawl and mat and uh, blouse um, on and I'd worn some Native American jewelry and I had braided my hair and put these large brass beads onto oh. leather strips and, and wrapped them around my braids. And Angela, who is student yeah. services coordinator, was taking the photograph with with her high you know digital camera. Yeah. And she was so fascinated by what I was wearing, she kept saying, Oh, I love your hair. And I'd say, Oh, they're they're braid mat wraps that I made. And my dog was rising up on the platform next to me. Uh -oh. And when he got about head height, I said, Angela. <laughs> and she said, Oh, sorry. And she hit the button to lower the dog. And she says, Oh, and your necklace. So I started telling her about my jewelry. <laughs> my dog is down down on the floor again. I said, Angela. We're not going to get this picture done if you don't get him at the right height. She says, oh, sorry. So she pushes the button and she asks about my skirt and, and my dress. And my dog goes up shoulder height and goes, Angela. And she says, oh, sorry. So I shut up and she brings him down to waist height. Meantime, my dog is beginning to get really scared as this platform goes up and down and up and down. But he's doing a perfect stay. Because that's, you know, he's a German shepherd and German <laughs> shepherds have to do everything perfectly or they're um, not happy. Yeah. So, so he's now at the right height. I put my arm around him and I smile at her and say, quickly take the picture. And she does. So he's looking straight at her, very focused because um, he's terrified that she's going to push that button. <laughs> and make him like an elevator <laughs> yeah and so he is he's not looking anywhere else he's not messing around like the dogs oh. often do when they're trying to get the photograph because he just 
is saying, oh, I'm being hugged by my person and, and, and it's, it's okay, uh, <laughs> but I'm not moving. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, so, that's that so was funny. my book cover. And the book's title is 50 Years of Walking with Friends. Yeah, it's wonderful. And I'm, you know, I mean, there's so much in it, so much depth. I love all the stories. I'm on my ninth guide dog and you're on your 10th. Mm -hmm. And uh, my first was a shepherd and my third was a shepherd lab. You had a shepherd lab. Yes, And I that did. one sang, right? She, she sang. Mine she, sang too. And she was a a beautiful lab looking dog. <laughs> yep. Yep. Mine was too. But she had a quirky ear that would stand up when she was excited. Oh. So we had this lab shaped oh, ear funny. that would stand up straight. It was a right ear that would pop up when she was very excited. Mm. Oh, that's and adorable. I could not have made it through university without her because I grew up in a very tight-knit family um, that were just they were just um, always there for me but never um, in a in a way that made me feel that I was less um, they, I they was, didn't ever they weren't yeah they didn't make you feel less that's interesting that's really good. My little brothers and little sister looked up to me because I was uh, the Winona, the firstborn daughter. And when mama wasn't there, I was in charge. Oh, and okay. <laughs> so, so blindness didn't get in the way of that. Nobody said, well, you know, you can't in your family. They, it sounds like they treated you like they knew you could with lots of things. Yes, they did. And um, one story about that is that um, my mother gave us each a dollar because there was a carnival within walking distance of where we were living in a trailer park. And um, she said, okay, now you can stay at the carnival until your tickets run out and then come home and tell me because I've got a lot to do so I can't go with you. So your sister's in charge. So we've took off to, <laughs> to, to go to this <laughs> carnival. And the way we traveled is I had a brother on each side of me and um, a brother behind me. <laughs> um, and so, or sometimes he was in front of me mm -hmm. and we set off for the carnival. So and there were four of you in all. Yes, you at that time. Three. My baby uh -huh. sister didn't arrive until okay. I was 17. Okay. So we set off for the carnival. And of course, the carnies notice everything because they have to pay attention. It's part of the way they live, the way we lived as Native Americans. And so they quickly picked up on the fact that I was walking with my hand on the brother to my left and that the the brother in front they were kind of protecting me without making me feel um protected right mm -hmm. because we were walking in a wedge yeah <laughs> through the crowd and um <laughs> so they realized that i couldn't see and they refused to take my tickets oh. so we rode until my brother's 10 tickets were gone 
because at that time they were 10 cents a piece to, mm-hmm. to ride on the carnival. And then um, my brothers were sad because they thought we'd have to go home. And I said, no, I still have my tickets. So I divided them up among my brothers and I let the little one ride on a merry-go-round or something by himself because mm-hmm. that wasn't something we were interested in. And then we um, all went on five more rides. <laughs> well, so, I'm glad they didn't say you couldn't ride. They just didn't want to take your tickets. Yeah. So okay. then we walked home and my mother said, when we came in, did you have fun? And um, my little brother said, yeah, but I don't get it. Why is everybody so nice to her just because she's a girl? <laughs> oh boy so that's my rabbit hole about i like (laughs) about being in a family that totally accepts you as who you are for my family i was shanigamukwe which means a day so bright and beautiful that everything is perfect the you can go fishing on the great lakes in a birch bark canoe because they're Everything is as it should be. And that was the name my great-grandmother gave me. And it gave me the confidence to know who I was Mm -hmm. to my family. I was perfect as I was. I was not broken. I was as the great spirit had meant me to be. Oh, that's so beautiful. That's so beautiful. And so you grew up with that with that sense of who you were, who you are. And when did you begin to feel that there was something different about being in the world? When I went to school. Yeah. Because there they saw this darling, sweet little girl. They didn't know I was a fierce warrior. (laughs) They didn't know that I could not stand for babies or animals or old people or people that needed protection to have a warrior to speak for them and fight for them. Um, And among my people, I was very brave Mm -hmm. going out into the world where all they saw was this little blind girl. um, I knew I wasn't just a helpless child. I knew I was strong and I was brave, but out there, they made me shy and afraid. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Isn't that sad? See, isn't that sad? That's some of what I, I kept thinking about as I was reading, I kept thinking, okay, so I've usually been a person that's been like, well, you know, of course I'm going to be determined. And of course, you know, like with this podcast, every moment is a moment of new possibility and that's great. And, but I, I don't stop often and say, but what about that world that has those messages for us? And what is it like? I, I, I guess I don't think enough about what is it really like to feel, um, oh, shy and or um, 
I don't even want to say broken, but affected by the world that projects a lot onto us, that doesn't believe in us, that doesn't see us as capable. And I think that maybe we deserve to give ourselves um, some really good attention for those and to to know that we are worthy of of love and kindness from others who you know can understand us and just appreciate who we are. Well, that puts a burden on us in a way that um, is, it makes us have to stand up and demonstrate who we are constantly. Yes, that's that true. That can be exhausting. <laughs> it can, it can. And what about, like, uh, I've heard Dr. Phil talk about, what about having a soft place to fall? A place where... It's oh, okay. do, you, do you know um, Sarah? Um, I'm blanking on her name. I hate being 75. My brain is trying to do it rapidly. <laughs> um, let's see. Um, Sarah starts with a P. Um, she she sang with. Um, oh, now I can't even think of his name. John. He died this last year. Um, oh. I think. Um, he. Uh, He's a wonderful writer of songs. And anyway, um, she has a song called A Safe Place to Land. That is so important. And And that's that's one of the things about, you know, being part of the ACV community is I can be brave for them. But Mm -hmm. and it's not a strain, but strangers walking into a room with a bunch of people you don't know and knowing all that they see is your blindness oh it's terrifying yes <laughs> and it's lonely it's it is. very lonely and and you know uh i i was always sort of raised to you know you just like keep a stiff upper lip and uh you well, just you never ever yeah. show fear because no. The kind of person mm-hmm. that gets a sense of power through intimidation, yeah. if they see you as a victim, they target you. Mm-hmm. And you never want to make yourself look like a target. So it's kind of like being a kitty cat where you puff up and try to look bigger than you are <laughs> or braver than you are. And it's also like being a turtle where you you know you you put on your armor, which to me is often what I wear, because <laughs> yeah. that's my armor. If I'm tr- attractively dressed, and um, mm-hmm. and I'm projecting who I am by wearing native regalia or a piece of jewelry my brother or my uncle made for me, I feel like I've got my turtle shell on. <laughs> mm-hmm. But a turtle knows that she's not going to get anywhere. If she doesn't stick her neck out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there you go. You're, you're all set. I'm all armored up. I'm, I'm ready to face them. And then I also find that my gift of running down rabbit holes is useful because my crazy brain will pop up with something like the time I went to an Elks Lodge meeting because my husband was joining in order to spend time with his grandfather. 
And so the wives were invited and we were supposed to go sit in another room while they got their antlers or whatever they do at Uncle Ashby's. And uh, so there I am abandoned by my husband and I, oh. and I, and I'm between dogs. So I have a white cane, which isn't oh. my, it's, it's a wonderful tool and I'm good at it, mm -hmm. but it gives me no comfort at all when I'm lost. Oh, yeah. It, yeah. You can't it, just sort of say, you know, outside okay. or <laughs> door, find a door <laughs> or find the elevator, yeah. or, you know, so I'm, you know, so I'm good with my cane, but I also hate walking in a crowd with it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you have to change the, the way you handle it. You have mm -hmm. to do the um Instead of having it out in front of you, you have it upright and you're clearing mm -hmm. just a small space where yep. you can step. And um, so I've got my cane in my hand and one of the women sees me stand up with my cane and she says, um, could I help you in some way? And I said, yes, but I could tell from her voice she was apprehensive. Yeah. <laughs> so I said, um, the easiest way to do this is let me touch your elbow. I'll use my cane in my other hand to make sure um, where that, you know, that you're not going to accidentally walk me into the, a table or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And and when you go up or down stairs, and if you trip and fall, I can let go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so I made a joke and made her laugh. And put her at ease and mm -hmm. so that's what I try to do is I think mm -hmm. about the other people that are there who probably are terrified of me yeah, yeah. <laughs> well and it's sad that they that many people really are terrified of yeah, blindness and blind people <laughs> they sometimes act like they think it's catching <laughs> exactly like yeah they're going to get sick and um and so in a way, I mean, there really is a lot that's projected onto us of other people's fear, other people's doubts. And, you know, I, I'm sure, I, I mean, I can think of countless of examples of having to say, wait a minute, no, that's not what it is for me. No, that's, that's not how it is. But uh, some people really, no matter what, just don't loosen up on that. It's... Mm -mm very hard but the ones that do relax yes they are already on their way to being your friend exactly yep and the ones that never understand humor at least gets you through it oh yeah <laughs> oh where would we be without humor oh my gosh where would we be without play and playfulness oh and even the fact that you wrote um this other book, the child, you know, children's book um, that I want to get to just a little here as well. How many children, how many children do you have? Um, I gave birth to two beautiful daughters mm -hmm. who are not visually impaired. Right. That's usually one of the I know, first things it's usually one of the, And is your husband? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> and Oh, that leads to its own problems because yeah. you're, you're walking around with this man who loves to hold your hand or have you hold his arm. Or in these days, now that he's in a wheelchair, 
um, push his wheelchair <laughs> because he trusts me. I can't steer it. So he gets to do that. <laughs> but he knows I'm going to understand that at the top of ramps, he wants me to break and hold back because he's afraid the chair will run away and, you know, go into the parking lot and out <laughs> of the street, you know, um, and that I will do the, the, the ballet correctly to get him through doors, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, of holding it with my, with my right foot jammed against it um, yep yep and then my shoulder yep. and my arm and of course like, we have the added interest factor of having a guide dog on a my guide left, dog on your left yep on leash because <laughs> yes. i've had to drop it his handle in order to push the wheelchair and so we do this doggy wheelchair ballet as we go through doors I love it. <laughs> and uh, um you know so we've been married for 52 years Oh, that's beautiful. For the last seven, he has been um, fighting a neurologic condition which mimics Parkinson's. Mm. So, but but because we've always been a team, Mm -hmm. and because he knows I am a competent person, and it's always, that was one of the things that when we met, drew me to him. Because the men that were attracted to me were attracted by the outside package and never bothered to find out what was inside. When they wanted you, there was one that just, you know, wanted you to basically stay at home, didn't want you to go to work or something, you know? Yeah, no, yeah. he didn't. Mm-hmm. He wanted me to be a little China doll <laughs> oh, under a glass dome yeah. sitting on a shelf. Uh-huh. And yeah. he would protect yeah. me from the dust and everything else, you oh, know? Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Yeah, I was sitting. I just can't picture the, that. <laughs> yeah, I was sitting at the table, and he, he was. I was telling him something, and I was not getting a response from him. And I said, "What are you doing?" And he said, "Oh, I'm just looking at your little feet. They're so beautiful." And I'm going, "Oh my God, they are for walking on. <laughs> You're not for admiration." <laughs> And I said, you have no clue who I am. <laughs> <laughs> Your little feet. Oh, my gosh. I actually was engaged to him for several months. And I broke it off because I, I just couldn't deal with the fact that he didn't want me to go to college. That's right. So, you oh know, what God. else could you do with, with a man like that? Oh, yeah. Oh, he must have been just really shocked when you broke it off. <laughs> Oh, he was extremely upset. And oh, that was very hard. What are you doing making your own decisions? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I married the man who was, um, he was dyslexic and very shy and got into college because the college we were attending was only 10 years old. And they were letting in a certain percentage of students they thought would fail in order to get their stats up. You know, uh, to, uh-huh. to show that they were, you know, a competitive college. Yeah. And so, um, and he found that out because his counselor at school told him he should go to a trade school, but he has a high IQ. Yeah. So, you know, so he was very nervous, very shy. And he went to the get freshman get acquainted dance with another girl who was a very pushy girl who invited him 
to go with her. And I had gone outside because the music was too loud. And I was sitting on a rock <laughs> with my guide dog back at the, at the room because I knew by that time that she <laughs> was a bit noisy around loud music. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sitting there on the rock and with, you know, with my white king going, uh, now, how do I get back to my room? <laughs> because I'm not sure I was paying attention when I walked over with Andy and Kathy, who, you know, were immediately partnered and, and disappeared into the crowd. Yeah. And so I'd worked my way outside and I'm sitting there going, this is the pitch. And, <laughs> and the girl from my dorm walked up to me and said, um, hi, you know, you remember me? I'm down the hall from you. And I said, oh, hi. And she said, and this is, this is Curtis Noriega. And so I said hi to him and I made a few silly jokes to put him at his ease because I picked up his tension. And then somebody came running and said, your dog is howling. Oh. <laughs> and I excused myself and I said, okay, um, let me touch your shoulder so we can run. <laughs> yep. And I went back to, to uh, rescue my dog who <laughs> did not want me to be at the dance no. without her. <laughs> oh, that is so funny. Oh, and gosh. So then at the end of the camp, he came in and uh, slid into the, the row on the bus um and and said do you remember me and i said oh yes you're curtis hi <laughs> yeah <laughs> and yeah. so um he asked me to go to walk from the dormitory to go get a hamburger because he didn't have a car uh-huh <laughs> oh. and so i was the first girl in my little coterie that i had made friends with over the first you know moving into the dorm day yeah and uh that had a date and everybody came to my room and helped me get dressed picking oh. out what I should wear and all of that. Oh. So, you know, it's just, if you put yourself out there and let people know who you are, what your interests are and that you're somebody other than a condition as hard as it is. Um, it makes the world a, a little bit easier place to navigate with. If you can, tell people who you are and sometimes no matter what you do they aren't going to get it and oh i for, know for those yeah. people um you just push them to the outer edge of your circle <laughs> that's true that's and true you, and you enjoy the people that are in your inner circle mm -hmm. yeah yeah and i mean even when you talk about the rude questions people ask i've I've tried to uh, teach about that in the sensitivity training that I've done over the years. Mm -hmm. But the ones that have objected to that the most have been some of the people working in special ed. Mm -hmm. You know, no, you or, should answer all questions. Or religious people. Oh, yeah. Yep. Because mm -hmm. you're supposed they, to be grateful. You're and, supposed to be a, and you're supposed to be a, open for being a miracle. Oh, yeah. What do you mean being you don't want healing? Over. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, one man even told me I ought to be ashamed of myself for oh. not wanting to seek healing. Oh, yeah. And I yeah. said, well, honestly, I don't think God makes mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> and if he chose for me to be blind, 
then it's he has a road for me and a purpose for me that requires that blindness. So just because I couldn't be the veterinarian ballerina that I wanted to be when I was six, <laughs> you know, and because I lost my vision when I was eight, God didn't need a veterinarian who was also a ballerina. <laughs> he need, he had a different road for me to walk. Right. And I like and the little. So <laughs> my purpose is to listen for his messages and follow where his, the path he wants me to, to follow. That's right. Well, the little prince says what is essential isn't visible to the eye. So I think there's a lot more to, to inner vision than the physical vision that people think we're we're missing so much. Uh, <laughs> and, and not to pull back inside of our turtle shells yeah. and hide from the world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But stick that little neck out there and go, okay, I'm ready. I've got my armor and I've got my guide dog and I can do it. <laughs> so it's amazing your life. I mean, because you said you, you raised, you said two kids. And you I raised... adopted a blind child when I was serving in the Peace Corps. Oh, that is so cool. And yeah, and your life in the Peace Corps. And did did Kurt go with you into that? Yes. Was that yeah. <laughs> he was working as a as a uh, junior high school science teacher. And I had a temporary job as a caseworker. We were living in San Jose with a cat and my guide dog. <laughs> and <laughs> we were buying a home. And mm -hmm. uh when I my temporary position disappeared from under my feet. Um, they hired me on other people's codes because uh, our lovely president Reagan was then governor of California. And he <laughs> had frozen all social service positions. Oh yeah. I remember that. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. And, and also he almost kept us from graduating from college because he, closed down all the campuses because of the the anti-war things that were going on on campuses. Oh, and yeah. So my husband had a vital project that he was doing a, an agricultural project on a particular pest and developing methods for um, natural control without pesticides. Mm -hmm. And um, so he had to sneak onto campus to feed his bugs <laughs> and you know so anyway there I am um working on temporary coats and um so they hired me because I walked into the the office to ask if they had any openings for entry-level social workers and the gal said no we're on a hiring freeze or no she said no we don't have any and I said Oh, so you've got your token Indian. And I turned around to leave and she said, wait a minute. <laughs> so she helped me fill out the form because they had a unit that was struggling because they only had one full-time social worker and he had two aides and they needed another qualified social worker. Mm -hmm. And because I had my VA and they only had... um junior college degrees, the Sioux 
and the alumni couldn't do some of the things that a full-fledged social work would do. And so I ended up with a caseload of 100 oh, wow. <laughs> in a time when we didn't have access to talking computers. <laughs> <laughs> and everything had to be done on a form oh. in red ink and, uh -huh. then, and then turned in for um, the unit clerk to, to enter them into the database on the inaccessible computer. Oh my so, gosh. Yeah, it was it was <laughs> But they didn't say you couldn't do it because you couldn't because you couldn't see they they no, needed that token Indian. Token Indian. <laughs> <laughs> because the unit handled only um relocated Native Americans and, and Eskimos. Uh-huh. Um because at that time it was a government policy to force people off the reservation, to pay them to go to cities promising them jobs and and assistance. So yeah. they were dumping, like, one of my clients, a lovely little Sioux gal with five children in a tiny apartment in San Jose. And she was pregnant. And she knew where she needed to go for her prenatal care. But it was 10, it was 10 miles from where she lived. Because San Jose is a big city. Mm -hmm. And she walked because she didn't know about taking buses and she didn't know about volunteer drivers who would oh, take people to medical appointments right and she didn't have the contacts for even the indian center in town hmm. and i found this out when i knocked on her door and i had sent her a letter because um i couldn't even hire, hire a reader so I had to ask one of my co-workers to read me the information in the file. I'd braille out notes, put it in the file with the print oh, stuff that I couldn't gosh. access. Yep. And um, <laughs> so I knew that she didn't have a telephone. So I knock on this door and this lovely young woman opens it and she's, and I introduce myself and I'm standing there with my guide dog. She doesn't think it's, abnormal for a person to show up with a guide dog she just accepts that that's what her caseworker does and so she's, and she says oh I'm sorry I didn't know you were coming today and I said I let sent you a letter last week because I know you don't have a phone and she says oh I saw it was from the government and I was having a downer day so I didn't open it <laughs> and this is why they needed me. <laughs> yeah. Yes. 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 Because I didn't scare her. No. Right. Me with my long braids and my long skirts and my moccasins and my guide dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm sure you. Yeah. I'm. I'm. Can imagine you as a. As a well, social worker. I wasn't just... afraid to hug. No. And I, and I wasn't afraid. To say, I see you. I mm -hmm. I know your pain. Yeah. I know you're afraid. Right. I've been afraid many times. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and remember who you are. Stand tall. Yes. Yes. Remember that who you are. You are a stranger to these people around you. They don't get you. 
but yeah. you mustn't let your family and your people down. Mm -hmm. So you be the best you you can be. And that's you. That is you in the world. I mean, I'm thinking, okay, so you raised your kids, adopted this child, then your kids have had their kids. So here you are, a great, a great grandmother. Yeah, a great grandmother. Yes. And you're still, that's your message. That's your message. And that's your, that's been your mission. And you're, you're helping, you know, doing that with your husband. You're just, I mean, you were still telling your mom that. Yes. Yeah. When she lost her vision. <clears throat> Oh my! Um, or started to lose it before to to macular degeneration. Mine did too. My mom's did too. Yeah, it, and then people would say, "Is it genetic?" I'm like, "No, no, <laughs> I don't have macular degeneration." In fact, my daughter said when I had to have my last eye um, enucleated, she said, mm -hmm. "Hey, mom, maybe you can get medical insurance now. You don't have a pre-existing condition. You're no longer uh, a." You no longer have glaucoma. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I don't have an eye problem. <laughs> don't have any eyes to have a problem That's with. That's right. That's right. And I have beautiful, big brown eyes. They yeah. May not, they may not uh, actually do me a whole lot of good, but they do good for you. That's right. They're oh, not, yeah. They don't look strange. And <laughs> People have said, oh, I can see. I can see that you you just look right through me. You look right through people. And I can tell by your eyes, you know, you're so authentic. And I'm like, oh, thank you. They're plastic. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I wrote a poem about, about uh, you know, that I have I have wings, but I don't but I don't have windows. <laughs> you know, I'm not like a building. It's a it's you know, it's I don't have windows to see to look out of can you right. look in <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and and who's more blind i mean a lot of times it's the people who just don't see in don't look in and think that you know but that's just that's just where they are that's just where some people are but oh my gosh so now tell us about this most recent book its title is um dogwood blossom Growing Up Native American, and it's a series of stories about a single mom and her three children on the Isabella Reservation where my mother was born. And we're going to hear a little excerpt of you reading it near the end, a very sweet story. Because whenever my father was stationed somewhere that families could not go, like when he was sent off to the Korean War, um, or the Korean police action <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh whoops i just dropped my lap, lap desk because i stood up Oops. to slam the door because my husband and and uh our home health agent just came back from grocery oh, okay. shopping Aww. and i didn't want the, the racket i didn't hear it no it didn't make a racket <laughs> okay so anyway um i wrote it because it was stories of my childhood and again, I was getting it, dedicating it to my mother and my two two younger brothers that are included in the story, because mm -hmm. the three oldest of us are um, about two years apart in age. Okay. Then we got a nine-year-old brother <laughs> when we were in high school, when um, 
my one of my mother's sisters was not able to take care of her children and they got split up and we took the oldest who was okay. nine wow and then um when i was 17 and um i had gone off to get a new guide dog when i came home i had a new two-year-old baby sister who was another sister's um oh. child a stepsister's child okay and um she got pregnant at 17 and when the baby was two weeks old she ran away from home because she couldn't deal with mm -hmm. raising a child she was still a child and uh my grandmother had her for two years but okay. my grandmother um was um she had arthritis and she had cancer and she was um on going through radiation and mm -hmm. chemo and all of that and was too weak to care for a two-year-old so what's amazing to me is you know there's a man who whose work i have liked for many years his name is morris massey and he says that we form our values by whatever decade we're in when we're age 10, and that the way we change them is through enough significant emotional experiences. And I think that the key word is enough, because for some people it's one, and for some people it's many. But when I listen to you and read your books, I see there's just constant diversity in your life from the beginning and your your differences are accepted by your family and but they also trusted that you would accept all the differences of the many other facets of family all around you and so it's not surprising that there are all these stories that you could tell and bring out in this even in this next book but that you know, you've got all these these different children and and how all of this and then all the dogs in your life. And it's just amazing. It's just amazing the many, many facets of diversity in your own in your own life. Well, you know, my I'm already working on my next book. But Good. It, it's got a working title, but I but it's not nearly ready. And I have a, a lovely niece who um, is the mother of five children mm -hmm. and she was um, she had two when she had um, cancer and was going through chemotherapy and very frightened she's a lovely lovely girl mm -hmm. woman um, and um, she got pregnant and they wanted to um um, abort the baby and um, treat the cancer mm -hmm. and she refused because she said no God wouldn't have given me this baby if I weren't meant to have it Excellent. and it's a weird thing about cervical cancer that sometimes it will go into remission or even clear up if the, the mother is pregnant hmm. oh wow so, um, 
she had a perfectly healthy baby girl and then she had two more kids. <laughs> oh, so, gosh. Um, you know, the, uh, she, um, so sometimes we just have to deal with what is and do our best. Mm -hmm. And um, other times, you know, I'm not anti-abortion, um, mm -hmm. but I think that has to be the decision of the mother. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yeah. the mother is the one whose body's going to go through all these right. bizarre changes <laughs> yeah, and have to deal with um, being a mother for the rest of her life. Mm -hmm. Because even when they're out on their own and all grown up, especially now, we are in the, the boomerang period where our ch we launch our children into the world. And because of the economy, because of the housing shortage, because of COVID, our children come home again and they need us yeah. to be there and to be strong. Mm -hmm. So, sure. um, and it's also a time when we have to be there for each other. The people that don't have family. Yeah. Yeah. The, and, you know, that's, um, you know, something that I've tried to teach my children is look beyond the surface, see who's in there mm -hmm. and help them if you can. Beautiful. Well, you just keep doing that. You just keep doing that in such a wonderful way. And so, I mean, I think you model that for your kids. And it's my mother did. I know. I hear that. Your mother. And do you talk to your mother, even though she's moved on? Do you talk to her? Um, I have something that my sister-in-law sent me. It's a, um, it's a little amethyst um, carving mm -hmm. that's a turtle. Okay. Because my mother loved turtles. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, she collected them. She must have had a couple of hundred of them, and oh we gave them away as as um, some of them away as as gifts at uh -huh. her had her um, okay funeral. Yeah, uh, I did that with something else with my mother. Yeah, yeah, of things that were meaningful to her mm -hmm. that my stepfather didn't need to have the dust. <laughs> yeah, uh -huh. so it was a gift to them both in a way. To get mama's turtles into other people's hands. But um, my sister-in-law sent me this one. She was not at the funeral. And mm -hmm. she didn't know about the turtle giveaway. But she sent me one that um, is is an amethyst. Ah, yeah. A carved amethyst. And it's a, mm -hmm. it's a beautiful little turtle. And when I need to talk to my mother, I can pick it up and hold it like a worry worry stone oh yeah and, okay um remember the lessons of turtle <laughs> because turtle um the the cont the northern well the whole thing of this connected piece of land from canada down to the tip of south america is called turtle island oh yeah uh -huh. among the people mm -hmm. and the story the legend of how it came to be Turtle Island mm -hmm. is is part of our our creation story, yeah, or explanation. So my next book is 
explanation stories or teaching stories that I have mm -hmm. written over the years. Um. And so my working title is Grandmother Spider Stories, because oh. if you remember the Ojibwa um, Dreamcatcher. Oh, yes. I used to make them a lot. Mm -hmm. That has spread all over and all, mm -hmm. you know, all tribes have adopted it, but it started among the Ojibwa people, my mother's people. Mm -hmm. And um, it was a, a man who was ill, who had a dream about his daughter and her friends uh, wearing a particular costume and bringing him healing by dancing. Mm -hmm. So that's the story of, you know, the origin of jingle dancers. But anyway, uh, the, the dream catcher was an emblem that was hung over openings to keep anything evil from getting inside. Oh, okay. Right. And mm -hmm. it was often held, um, one was often um, hung on a cradle board or someplace around babies to keep them safe. Uh-huh. So yes. that's why I have my main character being Grandmother Spider. And she's somewhere spinning her webs. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, she sees someone who has a problem, a child, an animal, whatever. Mm -hmm. And she tells them stories to teach them how to how to handle whatever the problem is mm -hmm. okay wow full so, of wisdom so i'm going to send um what i've got so far to my niece in colorado the one that's the mother of five kids that, uh -huh. you know battled cancer and still does from from time to time um I'm going to send them to her because she's she's a lovely artist. Mm -hmm. And because it's a children's story book, again, mm -hmm. I want um, really nice pictures to go with it, to uh -huh. illustrate it. Beautiful. Oh, my gosh. So that's my next project that I'm working on. Absolutely and beautiful. After that, I'm working on a, a, a book about attending public school. Ah, called swimming up the mainstream is the working title on that one <laughs> beautiful beautiful oh gosh so and important then i'll probably put together a um a uh collection of short stories for adults i'll go back to mm -hmm. you know things that aren't child related but yeah. um i'm not ready yet for well this should keep me busy till i'm 80 you bet. Oh my gosh. Yes. So what? then maybe I can retire. I won't make a lot of money because being self-published and not picked up by a, you know, major press or whatever. Um, I have to pay for all the groundwork. So, you know, I don't know. Um, this last one, um, I went again with DLD books because I want, again, I had my arbitrary timeline of getting it done mm -hmm. um before my birthday in which is in september so be ready for the christmas market mm -hmm. and also mm -hmm. because on my birthday i usually call my mother and sing happy birthday mm -hmm. and um so i was going to put another book in her hands yeah uh, you know now that she had turned 92 unfortunately she passed in in july oh Gosh. So with all of that ramification to deal mm -hmm. with, 
um, you know, family issues, Kurt's health, mm -hmm. just stuff. Yeah. It didn't get published until October, toward the end of October. And wow. um, so um, that's why it, uh, you know, we did a, the book launch on the 6th of December because I couldn't even get that much done before, yeah. you know, I got it published, but I really couldn't do much with it. So you're only my second um, uh, public. Okay. Well, I am honored. I am honored. And, you know, uh, I'm like, gosh, you know, people think that some people think all, all blind people know each other, you know, and like, do you know my, <laughs> you know, and sometimes I've said, well, do you know my third cousin who lives in Africa, who's also, you know, twice removed, who's also blind or something, you know, like, of course, we don't all know each other. And, mm -hmm. and, and sometimes when people have said that, I've said, well, let's see, do all fat people know each other? I don't think so. And I've had people really <laughs> kind of laugh at that. But you know, we don't. And yet when I read your books and, and connecting with you today, I'm thinking, oh, I, you know, I, I wish we had always known each other, but I am very I happy. I think that we we've ever met in person. No, but we might have. You know, we might have. That's the sort of thing. I mean, we might have been on an elevator together. We might have. We might have, but I am because really of, happy. You know, you know, the, the things that, community has brought us um is yeah. a closer connection with people that we may have been friends on facebook we may have right um met them for a meal at a convention when we the restaurant have. was crowded you know you never yes. know but I remember your booth and I still have that wonderful bag that's a horse's blanket. I wish I had gotten even more that you had there. And I, I remember looking for you after that thinking, oh, wouldn't that be nice? But I'm just so happy to be connected with you now. I am thrilled that we've spent this time together and I think it will be very interesting to people. Um, is there anything else that you i mean there's we could talk for hours but is there anything <laughs> else that you specifically want to add no just one of those old cliche things that comes up to mind is is be you everybody else has been taken be you everyone else has been taken that's right i love that and i love don't let anybody walk around in your head with their dirty feet no <laughs> no, that—that's that. a good one too. Because honestly, if we let ourselves be defined by them, we will never yeah. make our place in the world. That's right. And we each have to carve it out ourselves because nobody else is going to do it for us. No. No, but it sure is good to have close people, safe people, you know, along the way, or people who get us. It's so important and so good to know oh my gosh you have my my deep respect and appreciation as that's the thing that employers don't get about us mm -hmm. is we are creative people we think outside yes. the box all the time that's right we didn't we never get anywhere oh. you know it's it's sad though when you see someone that that has not been allowed to reach their full, full potential or have additional disabilities mm -hmm. and nobody takes the time to be there for them 
But that's the one of the things I love about ACB. We do take the time to be yeah. there for each other. And whether you have learning disabilities or mobility challenges that <clears throat> other people don't have, um, it's all good because you are you. And if something I know how to do is something I can teach you, and if you can't learn it, then it's not your thing. So don't worry right. about it. Right. Right. Because you've got things that are your thing. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, to just make that difference to each other so that we, um, to me, family is everywhere. Family, <laughs> my friends are family. And sure. so that. I think there's a sense. quote somewhere about um, um, fam- friends are family that you, that you choose for yourself. That's right. Yeah. You've got some in your family. You probably wish weren't there. (laughs) Everybody has one or two. But even them, because they're family, you do what you can. That's right. Yeah. You don't let them, you know, abuse their connection. No. You protect yourself when you have to. Mm -hmm. But you also don't completely shut the door. You just make push it almost closed right Just and so it may be that they'll their toxicity suck. doesn't take over too much right. of your time or space but you still will give them a hug if you see them well and, and they hide might, your wallet <laughs> yeah and hide your wallet and they may i mean our hearts can open at any point in time my my 60s were my best decade. I'm in my 70s now as well, and it's my best. I mean, I you just get that that you don't sound 70. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you don't sound blind either. You've gotten that, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But most people will take my energy and um, silliness and assume I'm much younger. Oh, yeah. And I just, oh, yeah. and I just say, isn't it great that all my friends are blind too because they don't see the silver in my hair (laughs) (laughs) they just want to know what I'm wearing in it today (laughs) Mm. well to take adversity with grace yeah and to look for the small beautiful treasures in each day Mm -hmm. those are the key to to getting older gracefully (laughs) yeah sure I think that's right yeah So before we go, I know you have a special piece from Dogwood Blossom to share with us. And so I think we'll do that as we wrap up. Thank you so much. This is great. So this is Chapter 4, An Unexpected Gift. Lisa Swan snuggled into the beautiful capote her mother had made for her Christmas gift. She looked out of the bedroom window onto a white world of snow-laden cedar trees and brilliant sun-dazzled drifts. She watched as Dan Trabu stepped out of his back door and waded out into the deep, pristine snow of his yard. He held something small cupped in his hands. He bent and placed it in a drift against the fence between his garden and the side yard of her home. Lisa drew in a gasp of surprise 
She spun around, raced down the hall, burst out the kitchen door, and ran around to the side of the house. She reached to the fence to lift a small black and white ball of downy fur from where it shivered in the snowbank. A tiny spotted beagle pup trembled in her hands and gave out a faint whimper. She tucked him inside her new coat. The puppy snuggled into the warmth of her body. He was comforted by the beat of her heart, and his shivers diminished. Elijah Fisher crossed the road from his house to that of his eldest daughter. He spotted his granddaughter, Lisa, crouched in the snow beside the house. What are you doing out in the cold, Blossom? he called. Officer Chirpu just threw away a puppy in the snow. Do you think Mama will let me keep it? Let's go inside and see what you have there, little one. Elijah responded. Lisa and her grandfather turned to retrace the path to enter the warmth of the kitchen, where Mary Swan stood pouring a cup of coffee. And I think I'll end there. Oh, I love that. And I love that um, at first, you know, it was like, oh, I don't know. and But then it ended up just working out in such a wonderful way. <laughs> so sweet. So anyway, that... That is Beautiful. what I chose to, to share with you today. Thank you.